welcome to Plead the Sixth, where two lawyers and a real person talk about the law. I am Catherine, and I am the real person in this scenario. I'm Stacey Krauss. I'm one of the lawyers. And I'm Courtney Daly. I'm one of the other lawyers. And this week we are talking about indigent defense. And I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about indigent defense. Um, let's start with what the heck does indigent mean? <laughs> Uh, means in, in in layman's terms, it generally means people who can't afford things, right? Indigent means oh, okay. that you're you fall within the poverty guidelines that the federal government sets. So this is the whole. And if you cannot afford one, an attorney will be appointed for you. Part of your Miranda. That's what this addresses. Mm. Is how do we determine if somebody can or can't afford an attorney? What is the procedure for that? So so this week we're tackling the the subject of defending people that can't afford a lawyer for themselves. Right. Okay. So let's dig a little bit deeper into that. It's all well and good to say that an an indigent person deserves a lawyer, but how how is that determined by the state? So (laughs) (laughs) where do we start with that? Okay. So there is a place called the Texas Indigent Commission that every county by statute has to turn in an indigent defense plan to. And they have to get it approved. And whatever county you're in, you can go online and you can look up your indigent defense plan for your county. And the things that they have to address are, how are they going to determine indigency? How are they going to determine court appointments for clients? Or if they have a public defender's office, that'll be outlined in in the indigent plan as well. And then, of course, you know, what are the what are people going to get paid and how are they going to get paid if they do represent indigent clients? And all of that can be found on the Texas Indigent Defense Commission website, which is the TIDC.texas.gov. It's a really, really cool website. Well, it's cool if you are interested in finding out how the different counties do <laughs> indigent defense. <laughs> Probably not interesting to other people, but... Yeah, maybe not a traditional definition of cool, uh, but (laughs) it certainly sounds helpful. So this this commission, is is it unique to Texas, or is this a commission that oversees all states in America? This is specifically Texas and how Texas handles their indigent defense. Um, Obviously, every state has to have their own plan because there is a constitutional right to an attorney if you cannot afford one. I mean, there. I think the U.S. Department of Justice does have, like, you know, uh, some sort of report or something regarding the indigent defense services in the United States. So they kind of track it too, at a national level. But what we'll be talking about mostly today is going to be specific to Texas and more specifically to Bear County, good old San Antonio. Okay, so let's let's say that I am a person who is very very broke not completely inaccurate um and i've gotten in trouble with the law does the government somehow just know that i'm too broke to afford a lawyer like how (laughs) how how do i get from being poor to getting a lawyer appointed to me well you have to ask for one no that's what you're not going to get it unless you ask for it (laughs) and i believe they ask like at some point when you're being um booked into jail or something they ask like are you going to need a court appointed lawyer or are you going to hire one for yourself and that's kind of where people first decide like if they want to hire or if they're going to need court appointed okay but some people aren't asked that question until their first court appearance too um if they don't have an attorney listed the judge will ask like you know 
do you need time to hire a lawyer or would you like to be appointed a lawyer? And then they will be appointed uh, a lawyer in court if they say that they would like to be appointed a lawyer. And when they say they want to be appointed a lawyer in court, um, they're given a a document to fill out that says like what their expenses are, what their income is. And then um, usually like the court coordinator will look at that document and see if they qualify for a court appointed oh, lawyer. So you, can't, you can't just waltz up to the judge and be like, hey, sorry, too broke for a lawyer. Just go ahead and give me one. And they, they're not just going to take you on faith. There's a little bit of oversight. But I mean, if you are in need of a lawyer and can't afford one, then you'll be provided one. Okay. And in county courts, it's the net household income. And so that's like how much money they make, um, less their necessary expenses. So you've got a you've got a gross income. That's the amount of money you make. And a lot of times with our clients, it'll be they're on disability, they're on social security, or they're on some kind of welfare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they have a job, it's like minimum wage. And then they take that and they reduce it by their necessary expenses, like rent, food, car payment, utilities, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then that number that they come up with after they reduce it is their net income. And in Bear County, if it does not exceed 125% of the poverty guidelines issued by the U.S. government, then they qualify. And in some cases, you know, people might not qualify, but they keep coming to court without an attorney because they can't afford one. Like the guidelines are very, like, I don't know if anyone's familiar with what the, uh, the poverty guidelines are in the United States, but they're really low. Like, what they consider in poverty, I consider to be like practically homeless. And I consider people in poverty to be to make a lot more money than what the poverty guidelines suggest. So, you know, I, I, if you keep coming to court without a without a lawyer, sometimes the judge will, in the interest of justice, appoint you as an attorney. Okay. But they're supposed to follow the guidelines. <laughs> okay. Okay, yes, that makes sense. So so in theory, on, on a piece of paper somewhere, it says, indigent accused shalt follow the poverty guidelines. But judges are like, mm, I know that's what that piece of paper says, but like you really needed an attorney, bro, and you cannot afford one. Here you go. Yeah, that happens. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like the science behind it, the math behind it. I guess it's math. Math is a form of science, but... <laughs> it's, the science, it's the math behind it is like, you know, so if you make 2000 a month and your expenses are with your rent, car payment, everything else are like 1800 a month, you're going to qualify because you only have $200 net income. And that's clearly going to be <laughs> greater than the or less than the poverty guideline suggests. So it's not just that it's your income. It's also they remove necessary expenses from your income to come up with it. Got and the good it. part of that is just about anyone that actually applies is going to qualify because most people's gross income minus their necessary expenses is not very much money. A lot of people, especially those who end up coming through the system, they're, they're not people with jobs that paying them, paying them $100,000 a year, sure. you know, so. And so once you're determined or once it's determined that you are going to need a lawyer appointed to you, the next question kind of becomes, okay, well, who, who are you going to get? So the different counties have different ways in which they do court-appointed attorneys. So some counties only have like a public defender's office. So it's, um, you know, people that um, work for the state and are taking cases of people that can't afford an attorney. So it's kind of like the defense version of the um, district attorney's office. 
they're only going to get people that need an attorney appointed to them. You can't go hire one of the public defenders to represent your case. (laughs) And then like another system that some counties use is just like court appointed attorneys, which are like private attorneys that you are court appointed to. So they um, are being paid by the county, not by you, but they're private attorneys. They do not work for the state. They don't get a salary from the state. So a public defender's office, they're getting like their salary from the state. Court-appointed attorneys are getting like a flat fee generally from the county at the close of your case, but you're not required to pay them. But those private attorneys can be hired by other people. Um And so some counties have, you know, the public defender's office and maybe that's it. And then other counties might only have a court-appointed attorney system. And then some have a mix of it. In um, Bear County, it's a mix. We have both the public defender's office and private court-appointed attorneys available to people. And the majority of the system here in Bear County is private attorneys taking court appointments. The public defender's office is pretty small. They handle some some very limited things. So when you go get if you, when you get arrested, you go to the magistrate and you get magistrated. And magistrated means you, the the judge is reading you all of your rights again and telling you about your rights because it's important that that it happens in everything, um, in every part of the process. They want to make sure you understand what your rights are. And there are public defenders, not private attorneys. The public defender's office handles magistrations. The public defender's office has an attorney there handling those magistrations to make sure that people's rights are being upheld at the point that you're being magistrated. And then the other area that the public defender's office handles in Bear County is they handle certain mental health cases. They do the mental health court in County Court 12, where people who enter into mental health court because they have some kind of mental health issue, and that's causing them to commit crimes, get helped. And the public defender's office handles that part of it. And they also handle certain cases that have a significant mental health component where they're going to really need that extra help. The public defender's office is trained on those kinds of things. They handle magistration and they handle the mental health caseload. Um, otherwise, every other person that comes to the Bear County system who needs an, uh, an attorney gets appointed to somebody who is in private practice, like Courtney and I. We're in private practice. People come in and hire us all the time, but we also take court appointments. And so that's just, it's another, I guess it's a supplement to our income, but it's just another way for us to get cases. So so what what I'm hearing is that it's kind of, you've kind of got two two pools from which attorneys can be pulled in order to defend injured clients. One pool is the people who are only interested in poor people. I am only going to defend those that cannot afford anyone. And then the other pool is is like I can be hired by the general public. And and you you can't you can't go over to the public defender pool in order to like be like, hey, I like you in particular. You defend me. Like that's not that's not an option. Um so well, counties can choose how closely those two pools overlap. It's not a pool. The only pool that really exists is the private pool, which is your court appointments that you get on a wheel and you get picked and, you know, you get appointed to somebody and then you represent them. And so there's not a pool with the public defender's office. It is just is the public defender's office just exists. And in some counties, let me have my metaphor. I feel like the metaphor still worked. (laughs) 
Right. But in some counties that all they have is a public defender's office. There is no Mm -hmm. court appointments. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but most counties have some kind of court appointment system, even if they do have a public defender's office because they, the public defender's office handles a specific thing. And being or having a um, court appointed attorney, when we refer to the wheel, we mean that like in order to become a, or in order to be selected to be someone's court appointed attorney, you have to apply and be kind of like accepted by the judges. Like there's an application process to be a court appointed attorney. So not every private criminal defense attorney in Bear County is on the wheel, as we call it. So oh, there is Oh, that makes sense. I was I was envisioning just like every lawyer in the greater Bear County San Antonio area just like showing up, just like, hey, I'm a lawyer now, and the court being like great come over here this person needs a lawyer and you're it come on down yeah not quite it is it is a smaller pool of all the attorneys in bear county and it's those that have um submitted an application and there are i mean there's requirements laid out in um the texas administrative code and then like counties themselves can add on to that i believe but like the general like minimum requirement for someone to be a court-appointed attorney. I think this is specifically for uh, misdemeanors, um, but the minimum requirement as far as like continuing legal education requirements, which is like the seminars that we have to um, routinely go to and learn as, you know, even even though we are licensed attorney, we're continually learning about the law because it's always changing. So you have to keep up those um, legal education hours. And so the minimum for court-appointed attorneys is six hours of continuing legal education. So you that's like the bare minimum that they require um, a year to be a court-appointed attorney. And I mean, I don't have the Bear County application in front of me, but you also have to list like your experience, how long you've been practicing. And I mean, certain levels of crimes like misdemeanors and up, they have different requirements as well. So like, you know, new attorneys can get misdemeanor appointments fairly quickly as long as they have their um, legal education requirements and the judges like approve that. The more advanced you get in the level of crimes, the longer you have to be practicing in order to even apply for that wheel. And there's other requirements. Mm-hmm. You know, Courtney's mainly talking about the six hours being for the misdemeanors, and that's here in Bear County. And each county sets their own requirements for what an, uh, an a defense attorney can do. But in order to get the progressively, you know, more serious crimes, as you move up, you have to have a certain level of experience. Like, there's no way you can graduate law school and day one, go get a murder appointment. Like, that's not going to happen. In, in Bear County, it actually takes four years to even get on the first degree wheel. You have to have four years of experience as an attorney and you have to have a certain number of felony trials before you can even be permitted to be on the first degree wheel where you might pick up murders and that's not capital murders because capital murders have their own set of requirements. So the idea is that it's tiered. So, you know, you start out taking cases that are relatively easy to resolve with, with small punishments And then as you progress, get more serious cases because you have more experience and you've had trials under your belt. And then it just goes up and up until, you know, someday, if you want to be, you can be on all of the wheels and get the most serious kinds of crimes. But, 
you know, as far as like, there are a lot of attorneys who practice in Bear County who don't take any court appointments. You can only hire them if you want them. But I would say most criminal defense attorneys are on some wheel. A lot of them don't do necessarily the misdemeanor wheels. Maybe they'll only do certain degrees of felonies, that sort of thing. But pretty much every attorney in Bear County, with the exception of some, you know, some some of the bigger firms, are handling some kind of court appointment. What what I find incredibly interesting about this is the the sort of standard to which court appointed attorneys are being held. Like it's not enough that you were able to pass the bar and become an attorney. It's it's fascinating to me that the court appointment system is requiring you to have an amount of experience to to have ongoing education. They're they're making sure that they're not just getting any lawyers who are willing to defend these people. They're making sure that these lawyers are knowledgeable that they're good at what they do that also makes me wonder like is is there any kind of requirement like that for non-court appointed attorneys like attorneys that that don't take court appointments is there any sort of requirement like that for them well to be a bar member to continue with your texas bar license each year you have to have a certain amount of continuing legal education Uh... now that doesn't necessarily have to be that doesn't have to be criminal in order to be on the wheels you know, in Bear County and in other counties, you have to have criminal at least continuing legal education. Mm-hmm. But to be a practicing attorney in the state of Texas, you need 15 hours a year of continuing legal education. But say you're a general practitioner, you can take it all on family law and not criminal law, and you can have people come in and hire you for criminal law cases. There's no, there's no oversight of that. You know, attorneys can be hired and there's no limitation on them for you to be able to pay an attorney because the idea is you get to choose your attorney and as long as the attorney wants to take the case, you can choose them. But, you know, they don't, there is no oversight of, a, of hired criminal defense attorneys if they're only being hired and they're not, um, they're not on any of the wheels. No, there's no oversight. And I think part of the reason why there's no oversight of just like, you know, if you can go out and hire someone is because you can go out, do the research, figure out if you want that attorney and there's no like chance to it. Because there's uh. chance to who you get as your court appointed attorney. Like you can't generally you can't look at the list of attorneys on the wheel and be like, okay, I want that attorney to be appointed to me. <laughs> um, they cannot. Yeah, it's random. So because it's random and because it's chance, you know, you you don't want someone to get a capital murder case um, with an appointed attorney and that attorney have been licensed for three months. You know, that that's not... That's certainly not what I would want. But if you are accused of a capital murder and you want to hire somebody who's only been licensed three months because you just believe they're going to do the best job for you, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. So the difference is like, you know, if you can hire an attorney, it's your choice. You're making that decision there is no requirement. But if you can't afford an attorney, it's kind of left up to chance. You want to at least be able to say that no matter who you get, they have met this basic requirement. There's a minimum to what they are knowledgeable of, at least. Yeah. And again, the Texas Administrative Code lays out like the bare minimum requirements of these indigent defense policies. And each county takes those minimum requirements and either uses those or builds upon it. So that's what I was talking about earlier about this minimum six hours. That's the bare minimum requirement that Texas allows. You can't go anything lower than that in any county for misdemeanors, I believe, is the page that I'm on. But yeah, so there are requirements in order to be on the wheel. And there are different wheels based on the level of crime committed. 
and different requirements based on that level. Yes. So from from y'all's perspective as court-appointed attorneys, like I know that the question that I would wonder as um, a broke person, which I kind of am, getting getting a court-appointed attorney, would you treat me differently as a court-appointed client than you would with your hired clients? Courtney and I don't. We don't. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't speak for everyone. And we would hope everyone doesn't, but we can't speak for everyone, like Courtney just said. Like, a client is a client to us, and if your case is fightable, we're going to freaking fight it because we're fighters. But you I think, know, if- I think our new, I think our new slogan should be, we're going to fight it because we're freaking fighters. <laughs> we should put that on all I of our <laughs> merchandise that we definitely have. Um, it should be on our wall. <laughs> that should be our new thing. Um, in fact, we really don't like to not fight cases. Uh, so when we get clients who just want to take a quickie plea, we're we struggle with that a little bit. But you know, if a client if a client wants us to plead them, we might struggle with it. But at the end of the day, the client gets to make the choices. We just have to make sure they're making an informed decision and advise mm-hmm. them of all of their options. And then we advise them, hey, we think you should fight this. And then sometimes they don't want to. And that's very frustrating, but we have to do what our client wants. Yeah. I'm not speaking from experience or anything here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. But I would say, I mean, maybe this is the optimist in me, but I would say that the majority of court-appointed attorneys treat all of their cases the same. However, I do think that, you know, if they have both a hired client and a court-appointed client, you know, set on the same day, they're probably going to appear for the hired client first and then go uh, to the court-appointed. Yeah. But that's just like, that could also just depend on what what court they're in too. I, I mean, but unfortunately, there are people that are going to prioritize hired clients because maybe, you know, maybe they're getting paid, you know, hourly. And so they're going to kind of work on those cases maybe a little bit more because we don't get paid hourly for uh, appointed cases. You just get a, a flat fee no matter how much work you put in it generally. Hmm. So while there is oversight ensuring that court-appointed attorneys are knowledgeable and skilled, there's not as there's not really any oversight ensuring that clients are, are, are getting the same treatment as hired clients. Yeah. And that's actually kind of, you know, that's kind of been a a concern of people, you know, because I think there I think um I think San Antonio Express News did an article on it about indigent defense and how like last year in uh, 2019 they were going to do some sort of indigent defense study because they were talking about how um that like Bear County spends like six dollars per capita on indigent defense and they were talking about how um there's not a lot of oversight of private court appointed attorneys who handle appointed cases. They you know they're not really tracking the outcomes that people have. There's no um there's there's no oversight of the indigent defense in the sense that like you don't we don't know how many people that have court appointed attorneys like how many of them do they how many plea how many go to trial like that kind of thing um but that number could be misleading too because a yeah. lot of times even people who don't have a lot of money when they really want to fight their case they hire people and mm-hmm. so you tend to see the people that get hired, like the, on their hired cases, they tend to fight them more. But that's because a client specifically came to them for that. 
And yeah. people who just accept the court appointments tend to not fight them. It's just, it's kind of a mentality, I think, among, the, you know, you've got the, the people who want to fight their charges and the people that just want to hurry up and resolve their case. And so if they they're, they just want to hurry up and resolve their case, they'll just keep their court appointed attorney. They won't go out and hire anyone. Yeah. But if, if you you want to fight your case, a lot of times people will go out and hire attorneys, even if they don't have a lot of money. Like if you're going to spend money on something, you're probably wanting to fight it. Yeah. And like another thing that's not really, um, like there's no oversight on is like the amount of work that is put into indigent cases. Because like, you know, no matter how many hours you work as an indigent defense lawyer, you're going to get the same amount at the end. There are some exceptions, you know, if like, for example, I mean, we've we've um, itemized for um, certain cases where we've been pushing for a dismissal the whole time. We put it on the trial docket. We worked hours and hours prepping for um, trial. And then the state ends up dismissing the day of trial. And so we've itemized for that before because, you know, we the state made us prep for trial like we were going to trial. We were ready to pick a jury. You know, we're 20 minutes away from picking a jury. We have done all the work for trial. But because the state dismisses before trial, instead of $700, we get $180. So in those situations, we've asked if we could itemize because we felt like the same amount of work we would have put in to prepping for a trial was still there, but it was dismissed. But on the other hand, there are people that because they're only getting a certain flat fee, don't put in a lot of work. And that's an unfortunate part of the engine defense system is that some people need that incentive in order to put in the time and energy. You know, we don't need that incentive. We're going to work. We're going to push it every time, no matter if we, you know, only get that $180 or if we all end up all the way in trial, we're going to push it the same way every time. But, you know, one of the downsides of the no oversight is that that's not the case for everyone. And, you know, it's it's obvious to each other, like as defense attorneys, we have a lot of fellow defense attorneys that we know work just as hard as we do on their indigent cases and their hired cases. Like they, they treat them no differently. Mm-hmm. But it does become obvious, unfortunately, when you do see the attorneys who aren't doing that, you know, and I don't I don't really want to talk badly about fellow attorneys. That's not the goal here at all. Yeah. But, you know. No, we'll just talk bad about the prosecutors. No worries. And they're and and there's always there's always an exception to every rule. Like Courtney and I have certain rules for ourselves, and in every single one there is an exception to it. Like one of our rules is we don't plead people on the first setting, but have we pled people on a first setting? We have. There is an exception to every rule, but that's our general rule. So when you look at our cases, you see ninety nine percent of them are never pled on a first setting, but you have that one percent. But there was but there was a really good reason to do it. And it was in the client's best interest. Like they wanted to do it. And or they, they or they demanded, it. right? Yeah. Like if yeah. our client demands, we have to do what they, they tell us. You know, we're their attorney. We're representing them. So if they insist, we have to do it. And that happens sometimes. But in general, you know, that's a, that is a rule for me and Courtney. We're like, we're not, we're not looking for that quick plea, which means <laughs> we're carrying a pretty high count for our indigent defense. Like we have a lot of indigent clients because we're not disposing of them quickly, but yet we're continuing to pick them up. And so we, we have a lot of cases for indigent clients, but we're going to fight them if we can fight them. And that's, that's how we treat it. We don't treat it any differently than if you come and you pay us. Okay. So first... It does warm my heart that you guys are are so passionate about, you know, treating your indigent clients like people and and putting in the time. Second, 
the phrase disposing of indigent clients just makes me think that you guys are just like throwing out bodies. I did just need to put that in there real quick. What were you going to say, Courtney? I was just going to say that like, you know, one of the, I mean, this is a little off topic now, but you know, one of the reasons why people should care about how indigent defense is handled in their county and statewide is because in the state of Texas, like for felonies, so all felonies charged in 2019, 76% of them in Texas were with appointed counsel. So you've got you've got three-fourths of every felony charge being an appointed counsel. And that's even oh more than Barrow County. So Texas in 2019, it was 76% of the felony charges were defended with appointed counsel. In Bear County, 92% of them were oh appointed gosh. counsel. And when it comes to uh, misdemeanors statewide, you have 47% um, being defended with appointed counsel. But in Bear County, you have 67% defended with appointed counsel. So and I have... I have an explanation for that disparity in that number. I know it happens in misdemeanors in some other counties, and that is they never get appointed counsel. It is a tragedy what happens in other counties with misdemeanors. So, the, the, what is what is the tragedy? Like what <laughs> they did? The, the judges bring them to court and say, "Hey, the state has this uh, plea deal for you. You want to take it? You don't need an attorney if you want to take it." Oh, that happens. No. Yeah, all the time in these smaller counties. All the time. It's, it's horrible. It horrifies me when I hear about it. And so that could account for some of that disparity, why it's so low, only 40 some percent in the state of Texas. But I think, I mean, that might be part of it, but I think um, it's probably more because people charge less for misdemeanor charges. So it's like more people can afford a misdemeanor attorney than a felony attorney, right? Because people are going to charge more for more complicated crimes. But, you know, if you come to someone with, um, you know, a failure to ID, they're not going to, at least I hope they're not going to charge you like $10,000 for, you know, (laughs) a misdemeanor like that. So more people can afford, (laughs) yeah, don't pay that. Um, More people can afford misdemeanor to hire someone for a misdemeanor than they can for a felony. So that's probably another reason too. But um, yeah, just those numbers alone though, the percent, the percentages, like that's why it's important to pay attention to how indigent defense is handled and to indigent people because they're the majority of the state and the county because kind of like Cece said, like once your expenses are taken away from your um, income, a lot of people are going to qualify for appointed counsel. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> Just thinking of the the majority of people in middle class or or lower middle class or working class, like there's not a lot of spare funds to just run around hiring lawyers. And so, and, and thinking about the clients that have come through here, they're incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and the and the the clients that have been appointed to us, not all of them are homeless people who are being persecuted for not having a home and in some cases a lot of trespassing Mm -hmm. a lot of trespassing charges um but it's also just run-of-the-mill folks who who just don't have the extra funds it's a bunch of folks um but like but like what i'm what i'm hearing from you guys is it it sort of sounds like there's some real problems with with the system and it's are there ways to make it better are there ways that it has already changed is this 
is this system already better than it used to be? Oh, I hate when I hear that bad systems <laughs> were already better than they used to be. Um, I mean, like, it's okay. So the public defender's office versus court appointments, it's, it's the, the age old argument, right? Like this is the argument since the dawn of time or the dawn of public defender's office and court appointments. Um, is the public defender's office is they, there's a lot fewer attorneys handling a lot more cases and they're incredibly overworked. So if all you're dealing with is you, all you have is a public defender's office, they don't have the 700 attorneys that you get to choose from in a court appointment system, right? Because I would say mm -hmm. there's probably about 700 attorneys on at least the felony side, I think. Maybe I'm maybe I'm overestimating in Bear County, but it's a lot. They don't even have say. Let's go way down. Let's say they would not even have the same number of attorneys that the state has. So the state right now, the Bear County has like over 200 prosecutors. If there was a public defender's office in Bear County and only a public defender's office, they wouldn't be budgeted for over 200 attorneys. That's just not realistic. So they would be handling a lot more cases with fewer resources. So that system is not great because they quickly become overworked. And in reality, it takes defense attorneys so much more time per case to properly handle a case than it takes the state to. So much more time. So knowing that that's a reality of the system, if you look at places that have public defender's office and that's their only thing, they don't have court appointments, they're incredibly overworked. Not a great system. Provide more resources to them, make it a better system, That's but that's not going to happen because at the end of the day, what are we talking about? We're talking about people accused of crimes and do we want our taxes going to that? A lot of people don't. You know, they're like, oh, I don't want to spend my money on helping people who are accused of crimes. It's a huge issue that we have in general with the criminal population and with people accused of crimes um, not getting resources because it's not a popular thing to spend money on. And, you know, legislatively, it's not a popular thing to spend money on tax-wise, all of that. So people you know, would not support the idea of having a well-staffed, well-funded public defender's office. On the other side, you have your court appointments. And this, you know, we have a lot fewer cases than a public defender would. And we get to spend a lot more time on each of our cases. We handle fewer cases than the prosecutors handle. So like we get to spend more time on our case than the prosecutor. It's a more idealized system. But like Courtney was saying, the oversight isn't there for the system other than these minimum qualifications, which are super minimum. So, you know, which, which is better? It's, they, they both have, they both have their flaws. I personally think the court appointment system is great, but that's because I know how I handle my court appointments and I don't see any flaws in it other than the age old complaint. We're not getting paid enough, right? In previous episodes, we talked about how we are not in this for the money. We don't make a ton of money and representing indigent clients doesn't pay anything. It's such a small amount of money for the amount of time that we spend on it. We would make a lot more money doing other kinds of work than we do with indigent defense. So we're definitely not doing indigent defense for the money. And I think a lot of attorneys feel the same way we do. They do the indigent defense because it matters. It matters that the people who can't afford attorneys get good representation. Because if we're not making sure that people who can't afford it get good representation, and those people just fall through the cracks, then our constitutional system is weakened. Our constitutional rights are weakened because the state is potentially getting away with violating people's rights. Yeah, exactly. And one of the organizations that's like trying to do something about it is the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. Um, they have a program dedicated to 
improving indigent defense systems to help like with the underfunding and the lack of resources because one of the things that we run into and that other people run into is like when you're doing a court-appointed case you you come out of pocket for some things um, if you can't get court funding on it so there is a lack of resources and there is an underfunding in some of these cases and kind of like what Stacy was saying like the way that things like this change is through you know the legislature and how laws are made but we're facing the public dislike of crimes <laughs> it's probably a better way to say that but like you know kind of what we talked about well, i sure hope that the public dislikes crimes well, okay, <laughs> it's like we don't want crime yeah like, I, in an ideal world you put us out of business because crime stops and we have to find some other kind of law to practice never gonna but happen the point that you guys have yeah. made in previous episodes is that these people have just been accused they're not they're, they haven't been convicted. People should yet. care about indigent defense, even if, you know, they could afford a lawyer, lawyer if they were ever accused of a crime. But you should care about the way that people are being treated in the criminal justice system because, you know, it could be you one day. Like, that's a scary thought to think, and you're like, oh, I never commit crimes. But you never know. A lot of the people that we deal with this is their first time getting in trouble too and they can't afford an attorney. So it's a scary time. But that societal view that the second handcuffs are put on you, you're no longer a person is the reason why these programs are underfunded. It's the reason why we have a lack of resources. And it's because like Stacey said, it's not a popular thing for a legislature or someone in the legislature to like try and push. Like no one... No one wants to spend more money on quote-unquote criminals when really you're spending money on people accused of crimes, um, which is different. I know people hear say – they hear that and they're like, well, you know, that's the same thing. Well, it's not the same thing. So, yeah, care about people that can't afford attorneys because, you know, you want the least fortunate person to be treated just as well as someone very fortunate or else, like, how can you expect anyone to be treated right? That hits hard. That was wise, Courtney. Thank you. I didn't know if it made sense when it came out, but <laughs> <laughs> but you you validated what I what, <laughs> me. I was like, did that did those words flow right together? Thank you. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. Validation all the way. Um, okay, final thoughts on indigent defense, folks. I love representing people who have been deemed indigent by a court or given court appointed attorneys. Um, I love being hired as well. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but, you know, the people who tend to come through the indigent system, a lot of them are completely lost and confused. And that think, I think that's an important thing. Sure, you're going to have your repeat offenders who, who know the system and understand what's going on for the most part. But a lot of them are not that. A lot of them are confused and scared and not sure what's going to happen. And even if they did actually break a law, you know, they they need some someone to guide them through it. Like even if the ultimate answer is to take a plea deal because that's in their best interest to do so, you know, they're still scared of the process. And there's still what I love is just helping people. And that goes for hired. And I guess that's not really anything directly related to the indigent defense system. I just like, I like helping people. And this is a great job where you get to help people. 
I, I appreciate that this podcast is turning into just like a big commercial defense for defense attorneys. Like, I feel like that's what it should be, but it's also just very amusing to me. We love what we do. I think that's painfully obvious at this point. <laughs> In fact, we did a whole episode on it. Um, My final thought is always care about people that are less fortunate than you. So care about incident defense. I like that one. Yeah. It's a good thought. Good thoughts all around. Well, I think that about sums it up for Indigent Defense for now. This has been Plead the Sixth. Please check us out on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Kraus Daily Law. And we are also going to be posting this on our website, KrauseDailyLaw.com. That's K-R-A-U-S-E-D-A-I-L-E-Y.com, where you can comment get in fights with other people in the comments and fight with us too we love questions and all sorts of concerns so come check it out and we will see you guys next week where we will be talking about going to trial all right folks join us next time so you can learn how to plead the sixth